and JRTC units from around the country. We also have working professionals in government and industry. We have our Bay of Stars and Stripes Career Day Ambassadors, so uh, Mr. Matthew Trimble and Ms. Maury Bowman, please stand up. Okay, great, and let's give them a round of applause. <clears throat> you know, I like having the microphone because you guys are applauding and don't even know what they do, but please sit down. <laughs> so each uh, second Saturday of each month, uh, these high school teenagers interview leaders from around the country, astronauts, entrepreneurs, uh, Steve Poisoner, the man who put the GPS and the cell phone. So this conference and the ecosystem that it represents gives you access to unparalleled leaders in the country. And for those of you who are going to the Bay of Stars and Stripes dinner, you're gonna see the power of the ecosystem and what it's done for some young people here at this conference. But I won't belabor the point administratively. Uh, last and most importantly, on this panel here today, you have four of the nation's top experts in energy. I'll start with Brigadier General Robert Bowie. He represents the uh, Department of the Air Force for energy and installations. He works with the, the general in charge, as a matter of fact, the assistant secretary in charge for installations and energy. So he is familiar with all of the Department of the Air Force bases, their energy requirements, what is needed, and how it's done. Next to him, I have Colonel Al Trimble. Colonel Al Trimble is a graduate of Morehouse University, Morehouse College, let me get it right, and he is a uh, retired Marine Corps officer. He has spent many years in the energy field and is a recognized expert. Colonel Trimble was the commanding officer of the Marine Corps base in Albany, Georgia, where they run numerous awards for energy and sustainment. Next to him is uh, Dr. Ernest Smiley. Dr. Ernest Smiley is a chief data scientist, so if you need someone to crunch the numbers, uh, Mr. Ernest Smiley can do that. But he's also an expert in energy and finance, sustainability, and things that impact our lives. So for the young people today who are interested in uh, sustainability, energy, solar, electric vehicles, uh, this panel will, will definitely provide you the information. And last but not least, it is my honor to introduce my friend, Dr. Joyce Braggins. Dr. Joy is a diversity, equity, inclusion expert in the energy field. So if you're talking about the Association of African Americans, Association of Blacks in Energy, uh, she's familiar with those organizations, the human capital strategy that uh, powers the energy industry, uh, she is familiar with that. So with no further ado, I'd like to introduce Dr. Joy Spragans. Round of applause. Thank you, thank you. I'm excited to be here, and I'm excited that you're here. I want to give a special welcome to the U.S. Air Force Academy. Am I correct? Give a wave. Yay, yay. I'm a, a NASA Globe U.S. Ambassador, and we're actually headquarters in Colorado. So I wanted to bring you a special greetings and a, a triple special greetings from Lieutenant Colonel George Hardy. He's a red-tailed Tuskegee Airman and engineer. And he, there's some history between the Tuskegee Airmen and also the airfield uh, up where you're located. So we're looking forward to working with you. Yes. I want to give a special welcome to the Navy. Um, our program is actually located at the Philadelphia Navy Yard. And so when you look at collaboration between the Army, Navy, 
uh, and the Air Force, we all know that we will have a better country and emerging leaders such as yourself, so welcome. Today we do have a distinguished panel that can share with you some best practices that um, is in the energy industry, some emerging trends. We heard about data science. I just want to share with you that NASA has, uh, is really big working with our joint armed forces and also data science in energy. So you are, you are in a great place today, and that's what BEA is about. It's about sharing job opportunities that can help you advance your career, both in the military, um, as you transition also into corporations, and then into your civilian life. So with no further ado, I would like to ask our panelists if they would be kind enough to share one minute about their background, and then um, I'm going to ask you some questions, and I, I we want to make sure th that this is engaging. So you may have some burning questions that you would like to ask, and this is the opportunity to ask those questions. You may have some opportunities, you know, you might be thinking about, well, what career path should I take? What job opportunities are there? What should I be thinking about? How can I identify a mentor? This is the room, this is the workshop that could help you speak with our leaders and answer your questions. So with no further ado, I would like to ask our panelists if they would be kind enough to share your name again, your title, and a one minute bio of yourself. Hi, good afternoon. My name is, my name is Ernest Smiley. Um, with the, with the energy, I worked at Department of Energy as a program manager and, and um, system analyst. Um, uh, artificial intelligence, but I worked in the Office of, of, of uh, Radioactive Waste Management, and that's the storage of, of nuclear waste. Um, have a background also working across the intelligence community. I worked, uh, spent a number of years, to say the least, in uh, Central Intelligence Agency and National Geospatial Intelligence Agency as a uh, scientific, um, and across scientific and uh, engineering. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm uh, Colonel Al Trumbull, United States Marine Corps, retired. Um, I first got into the energy space when I was the commanding officer of Marine Corps Logistics Space in Albany, Georgia. Uh, about 10 or 12 years prior to that, uh, our country was facing some really good challenges or some real serious challenges with energy. There were spikes in energy costs, uh, and energy became a strategic weapon of our adversaries. And so we had to pivot. We had to figure out a means of uh, being resilient in the energy space, and we had to figure out how to be uh, sustainable at the same time. And so at, about 10 years ago, we developed a strategy to um, uh, transition from traditional fuels to renewable energies. And so uh, my foray into that was to help develop uh, a biomass uh, steam to electric generation plant, a landfill gas generation plant, uh, solar uh, uh, photovoltaic cell uh, farm that we had, and other uh, types of uh, energy uh, management or storage system, like a, uh, a borehole energy storage system uh, that we use to significantly reduce the cost of uh, sustaining the base. That's on the installation side, and there was similar um, uh, efforts going on on the operational side as well. We can discuss those as well. So Al Trimble, Morales College, uh, thank you. 
I'm Brigadier General Robert Bowie, a uh, proud graduate of Carnegie Mellon University, Detachment 730. I'm electrical engineering background in math. I'm a 34-year veteran, and I'm uh, in the 32 Echo career field, the civil engineers. Um, basically, over those 34 years, I've really had an opportunity to focus mostly on installation, facilities, construction. In the last two years, I've come into work for the Assistant Secretary focused on the climate, so specifically uh, coming up with the Air Force Plan, the Department of Air Force Plan for the Climate Action Plan. Um, and generated that for the Secretary's signature. Secretary Kendall signed that on October 15th. And now I'm focused on, uh, for the next couple of, excuse me, the last eight, seven, eight months has been focused on how we're gonna implement this climate action plan. So we're gonna create a climate campaign plan, hopefully get that signed out by early March. But the bottom line is we have to figure out how to deal with climate change. We gotta figure out how to, to deal with uh, the mitigation and come up with different things. So excellent example about the, the mass, the biomass coming up to get extra energy solutions, but also, the Air Force is responsible, particularly, uh, particularly aircraft, of 80% of the, of the carbon emissions. So we gotta figure out how to reduce that and 50% for the entire OSD. So we're chasing that, that um, what we can do to fix operational energy challenges and reduce that carbon footprint. This is excellent. So when we talk about energy and enabling defense um, moving forward, I just want to just recap some of the career opportunities that I heard. I heard AI, uh, intelligence, geoscience, data science and engineering, uh, energy costs, resilience, sustainability, uh, bio, uh, biomass and solar farm, uh, solar farm, excuse me, uh, energy management, storage systems, sustainability, operations management. I heard two university partnerships. We got to acknowledge Pennsylvania and our HBCU partner, and I also heard about climate change. So when you look at all of these career opportunities and emerging trends, this is a great opportunity for you as cadets to start to begin to think about your career path. Because when you look at where you are today, you have an opportunity to begin a five-year plan or 10-year plan and start to ask yourself, where do I wanna be in this space? How does energy play a role in my career growth, where I wanna go, whether I'm in the Army, Air Force, Navy? And then again, as we look at emerging leadership, you are our next leaders. And so today, you're gonna hear some opportunities to, what am I, why don't we start this? How did you start in your career? And what were some of the things that you did when you were sitting in the seat that they are sitting in right now. I start, I um, graduated of uh, University of Maryland and uh, Georgetown University. I started off in the Army, as I was mentioning earlier, uh, in uh, systems engineering and cybersecurity, and I moved on. I worked uh, part for, um, in the uh, whole commercial environment. I worked for uh, Sprint and AT&T, design and systems, spent time uh, with Department of Energy, um, as a, uh, in their whole footprint with, uh, with radioactive waste management, but moved on into the whole data science whole uh, perspective. That's where uh, a lot of growth is today. Uh, a lot of the uh, impact across, uh, no, no matter what, has to do with data science and how you control it and, and the implementation of it, solving complex problems. Spent about two years uh, working at the White House also while I was attached to an intelligence community. 
Yeah, I, I, I started off my career, um, you know, right after high school, I, I joined the Corps. And, you know, I quickly learned that, you know, I, I probably needed more than a high school degree to, to, or a high school diploma to get anywhere in life. And at that point, you know, I went into the ROTC program at Morehouse College. Uh, in the, in the uh, ROTC program, I decided to make, I always liked science, right? So I was always a science geek. So I majored in physics. And so uh, after uh, obtaining a degree in physics, I went back in and I uh, uh, gave a, a, a stick, uh, gave a, a good shot at flying airplanes for a while, but I didn't have the eyes to continue to do that. Uh, and so I said, I got to find something else to do. Uh, and so it, later in my career, uh, I found the energy space. And finding the energy space uh, was some of the things that I talked about earlier. Uh, but then I had to go beyond that, right? So it's time for that graduate level degree and those type of things. So uh, probably around the time of a captain, I decided to get my MBA. And so I went to Boston University to do that. But it's always constantly, you, you're always constantly learning, right? So um, uh, after that, uh, I uh, had a tour as the um, IG, and at the IG, you get to inspect all the installations and you get to do all those type of things. And so you see more and more and you continue to grow and learn. And as I continue to grow and learn, um, I, I landed, you know, uh, in that, that last uh, job. Uh, let me go back a little bit. Um, prior to that, I was the, uh, the operations officer in Korea. And as an operation officer, you handle all domains, right? Aerospace, cyber, subsea, uh, you name it, uh, and you're part of it. And so you have to understand that's very, very complex uh, operations that you have to understand the inner workings. And so again, that you know kind of sparked my interest to really learn and grow more. Um, when I finished my command tour of the energy base there, uh, one of the things that, you know, the uh, Ernest here had talked about is the data movement in it. And so one of the most way, one of the best ways to make the energy use most efficient is to understand the data that's coming off, mm -hmm. uh, the, 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 uh, the data that's coming off either facilities or equipment that you're using, right? Understanding it, the data uses there or the, the energy use and understand the energy production. And so how do you maximize that? And so we... Uh, we uh, start a lot of uh, projects uh, with IBM. So we use IBM Watson. Uh, we uh, established data warehouses. We established some uh, data analytics software to write on top of that. Uh, we made some data-driven decisions to help us be more efficient across the board. After learning that, it was the cybersecurity aspect of how do you secure that? And so that, I had a foray into cybersecurity, right? And so. Uh, after all that was said and done, I said I needed more education. And so I went to MIT to get a degree in digital transformation, right? And so uh, that led me to the understanding of how blockchain can, can, can uh, help to either secure our data systems, secure our energy systems, and secure uh, you know, our future to make us more resilient and more sustainable. So that's kind of my foray into education. I jumped right in uh, after ROTC, went straight into the electrical design department. So kind of a blue collar thing, making sure eight outlets went to one breaker, make sure eight lights go to one breaker. Um, move forward into, because of time available, like I said, not that much electrical design, and I got into backup power. So I was at a thing called Strategic Air Command, old school, 
So everything had backup power there. So I learned the, the, the details on uh, automatic transfer switch, kind of got the ins and outs. What I recommend to anybody uh, coming into the force is learn your job, become the expert at your job. And so I, I maximized those opportunities. At Carnegie Mellon, we were more of a theory base, didn't have too much. So I had to really go into the power career field and learn that. Uh, secondly, I, while I was working that, I picked up the opportunity to work in contracting. And so that, that opened up everything for me because then I could see all the career fields, all the different things within the facility world and try to put them together. So I got involved in a thing called multiple award task order contracts. And that's the ability to come up with a short, quick way, and it gave me a lot of visibility at the base and installation was if we needed something very quick, an emergency repair, you could have a third-party contractor, not the military, that would come on board and be on board already, and you would give them a short order, a job order to complete it. And so that was a, a, a great opportunity, but then I got into specification writings and more design. So then I was writing specifications back old school. Electrical was only section 16 of the core engineer specs. Well now, I got to open the box and go from one to three to 16, so I learned how to do construction management from there and doing all the inspections on contracts, whether it be architectural, mechanical, and those type things. Then mechanical got me into control. So really for my first two assignments, I was really focused on design, construction, and contracting. And I think, once again, if you're in this uh, electrical side or union facility side, I think that's a great place to start. This is excellent. So uh, I want to invite you to, to think about this. You're cadets right now, right? and you're building your career pathways in, in the service. What else did you hear? Other career opportunities. I heard, you know, contracting, right? Different, you know, how does energy relate to the different fields? Construction, um, satellite, data. You know, every time you, you, you think about this, when we talk about climate change, right? You turn your TV on, you're looking at the weather, you see all of this data coming down to tell you what the weather forecast is gonna be. That's coming from the NASA satellites, the Lockheed Martin satellites, the Raytheon satellites that are beaming that information back down to the broadcast you know, partners, which is your you know, television station or your internet. So think about all of the career opportunities. You know, just imagine today and then imagine the future. The other is, you heard the language that we all use up here called old school. We use old school methods, right? So we're all old school. Well, we're proud of that too, I'm telling you. But you are the next emerging leaders. What is your language gonna be? We're old school, who are you, right? So as you incorporate the best practices that you're learning here, the emerging job opportunities, you are our next leaders. You are the role models to the generation that's coming behind you. So this is how you build the multiple generation pipeline, the multiple STEM pipeline. And on your resume, please make sure that you include this workshop and make sure that you can include the names of our speakers, you can include this is what I learned from this workshop, because when employers look at your resume or you go back in, at the academy and, you, and they ask you, well, what service learning opportunities did you discover at Bayer? Here is a great opportunity. You can say, I learned more about the energy industry. And so one of the things I want to invite you to consider while you're here today 
incorporate what you are learning in your service learning model. How many are required to do service learning? Service learning. Okay, great. So let, let's, this is a, this is a, a, a aha learning moment, right? If you are in high school, one of the things they look at is the academy, because I know because we, Legacy Bridges STEM Academy Inc., we are a 501c3 NASA Legend and Trailblazers Institute. Our focus is to increase more diversity and inclusion in the NASA and private sector pipeline. And we're working with the multiple academies. On the application, it says, you know, they ask you about, you know, all your educational scores, but they also ask you what are you what are you engaged in in the community? Service learning. Okay, today is not a field trip. Today is about career awareness and how do what you're learning today relate to service learning? I'll give you an example. Suppose all of a sudden the lights went out. The energy grid has been affected. Now we don't have lights, we don't have heat. What would you do? What would you do? Would you just sit here and say, oh, I'm not gonna do anything? Or would you say, okay, what do we need to do to solve this problem? Okay, because now we just got affected, we went outside, just think about it. Last week, well, I don't know, I'm from Philly. Last week it was 12 degrees, Five days later, it was 40 degrees. There was some, it, it affected a lot of our systems. What would you do? So as you're learning some best practices and, and you're hearing, aha, think about service learning because that is included in the academy's requirement. So when you leave here and you go back and they say, well, what did you do? Uh, I attended the Bayer Conference. Oh, that's great. What else? You can say, I learned some industry tre trends in the you know, that's emerging in the energy industry. Um, we're talking about climate change, and I'm going to ask them to talk about climate change in a moment. This is what we would do, you know, if something happened. That's service learning. And as, a ca as cadets, you always have to think about service. You're learning your academics, but in the military, it's always about serving our country. That's what I mean by service learning. Does, does that help you connect the dots? Okay, so think about that. And then I'm glad to see women. Yay! Sister girls over here, whoop whoop! I will tell you, I say this all the time. Most of the time, I work with 98% men, and I, I woo, take my hat off. But we need more women in the industry. We are brilliant and we need you. So what can you do as women cadets? You can be the best you can be and be a role model to the generations to come, okay? So I'm sharing this with you so that when you're sitting there, you're not sitting there, I want you to, to expand your, your thinking and possibility. Oh, I'm sitting here and I'm listening to the commanding officers. You know, you're listening, listen with the ear of incorporating that into your military service learning. Are we good with that? Raise your hand if you heard me. Okay, raise your hand. Okay, got it. So now we're gonna talk about climate change. We know that climate change is affecting, really, emergency management. 
you know, in the industry. We saw the grid go down and how are we going to solve the problems? You know, our energy uh, corporations are saying, hey, where are our next, uh, where's our diversity, inclusion, STEM workforce? I know the military is saying that. So can you share from your perspective of what are some tips that, or some best practices that you have seen that, could, that we need to think about as we look at climate change and sustainability? I think uh, one of the key things is, um, you know, it's all about the data. Uh, you know, we hear that a lot. It's all about the data and understanding the data that's available to us today, you know, especially coming from uh, off of our satellites and actually its impact on the Earth if we deal, as I said, climate change as we're dealing with weather and other whole impacts. Um, and then how, what we're gonna do uh, to actually control that or have some impact in it and, and how can we use that data that's available. Uh, we have a host of amount of data that's out on uh, opensource.com uh, and uh, there's some uh, tremendous data that's available um, in uh, other sources, you know, it, especially out of uh, Library of Congress, uh, FDA that we can uh, use and then we're, how can we use that, this data to actually solve some type of complex problem? What, uh, algorithms, what models that are available uh, that we could take a look at to, uh, to increase our survivability, and that's what it really comes down to. Excellent. Oh, thank you, Doc. Um, for climate change, you know, most people are familiar, I don't know if you are, but with the, the Paris Climate Accord, where we want to reduce our um, increase in temperature to at least uh, 1.5 degrees Celsius by 2030. And so why is that? Why is that important to us? Who gives a who? Well, a lot of us have seen the droughts in California, right? And so what happens when the, uh, the climate heats up so much or the, the earth heats up so much that you dry out the soil and you damage your food sources, right? And so uh, that's an impact to our food sources, that's an impact to our housing, our standard of living, and, and whatnot. And so um, those impacts go beyond that. And so if you, if you don't get a hold of climate change, you'll start to have to plan for ha not having a climate at all. And what I mean by that is, uh, if you start to design vehicles today that can operate in 100 degree weather, well imagine designing vehicles that's gonna operate in 130 degree weather. And if you can't control flooding today, you, can you imagine the infrastructure that will be completely destroyed uh, if you don't get a handle of it today? And so some of the best practices that I see that are trying to get ahead of climate change is one is we're I, I think just the awakening just the awareness that we all have to do something I think most people are starting to come to that realization and I think the second thing is um, there is a momentum to transition to alternate fuels how many of you got Tesla's in here I know all you Air Force Academy guys I'm not worried about you but the Army guys you, you you'll, you'll get there but um, uh, I, I see, you start to see that, right? You start to see that transition and that belief in it. You start to see more and more windmills, more and more solar, more focus on nuclear energy, because I don't think the renewables it, themselves will do it, will solve the problem. So I, I still think there'll be a heavy reliance on nuclear energy to provide that capability. And so you start to see these things. And then uh, I would say uh, the, the, uh, the biggest thing that I see uh, that I think is, is probably one of the most significant impacts is, you know, um, Dr. Uh, Joyce re re talked a little bit about emergency management, 
right? So how do you prepare uh, emergency responses in a climate change environment? And I think the military has learned this lesson, right? So we now design vehicles, right? When we talk about designing military vehicles or military aircraft, we design them with climate change in mind. Those vehicles or those aircraft won't be produced until 10 or 20 years from now, but they'll have to operate in a degraded uh, environment, and hopefully we don't get there and don't need them. Yeah, climate change is, is interesting because it sometimes it's going to be politicized, you know, whether it's, it's happening, whether it's not happening. But I think from the DOD perspective is we got to prepare for the worst-case scenarios. So one of our first things is, is making sure we've set up uh, the Secretary of Defense, and obviously the services have set up a way we have to address this, and we call it the working group. So we really got to get after climate literacy first. We got to make sure we get the definitions out. What is mitigation? What is adaptation? What is going on? For Also, we also have to build up uh, knowledge. For example, Texas has got polar vortexes for the first time. We got Dallas having ice and snow multiple times a year instead of once every 100 years. The Northwest has record heat. You got Kentucky with flooding they've never seen before. It seems like the tornadoes have moved from Oklahoma to t Kentucky and, and Arkansas. The West Coast, tons of fires. These things didn't always happen in the last 20 years. So in my world, this climate change is creating severe weather. And as previously mentioned, is how do we address that and how do we get there? But the most important thing is we got to get the knowledge out to all the leaders and make sure we're getting information and get people buying on to that knowledge. Second piece is once you get there, you got to do war gaming. So, for example, we have uh, in the installation side, we have a thing called energy, resilience, readiness, exercises. And that's essentially where we shut the power off to the base, okay, and see what happens. Does all the generators work? What doesn't have power? How does it affect the mission? Because what I'm here for is, is fly, fight, and win. We got to make sure we have mission assurance. We got to make sure the mission happens. And so we do war gaming. But also, when we're moving our um, mission sets more to PACAF, more to Indo-PACOM, more to the Pacific. We got to make sure we have things in place. We, we know how to go to Europe. We know how to go to CENTCOM, but we have to make sure we have things in place. And energy is lacking there. We don't have all the fuel you need. You don't have all the generators you need. So we have to work on that. So we do war gaming to show that the gaps in the energy, the challenges with climate and drought, we have to do those things. How are we going to get to electric vehicles? So the big thing is we're committed, the OSD, the Air Force, but guess what? We have a chip shortage, okay? So, so we couldn't get the vehicles. We wanted to get X amount of vehicles that were not available. They're too expensive. So how are we going to get there? So we also have to work with our industry partners and work on supply chain management. We got to make sure the pieces and parts are there so we can build and do what we have to do. It's already been talked about about operational energy. We got to figure out a way to get out of the greenhouse gas emissions. So we got to figure out how to electrify things. We got to figure out how to get sustainment fuels. This is not going to be the OSD by itself. We have to figure out how to partner. We have to figure out how to get investment from, from, our, from our industry partners. We got to figure out how we got to get there. And lastly, I want to throw in another shot at data. The data is what counts. And what we find out is, in the case of the Air Force installations, is, and I think I can speak across the OSD, is we don't always have the data for energy usage. It's held by the contractor. It's held by the utility buyer. So we now have to put shadow meters in place so we can get the data, so we can do analysis. And once again, that's some challenges with the IT world because you have to make cyber protection, you have cyber points of failure, so we got to make sure we get there. But it's a multi-pronged attack. 
on all sides. For my case, I'm on installations on the engineer side. We need the acquisitions community to make sure they're buying things 20, 25 years out. So we've got to make the operations and making the decisions. And I can go down the line, logistics, et cetera, et cetera, how we have to address that. So it's a multi-pronged attack by an informed workforce. That's excellent. And, I, and I, one final question that I have, and then I want, we want to ask the audience if you have any questions. When you talk about uh, DOD partnerships, I know that they, the Federal um, Communications Commission, th there is a, a, a broadband plan uh, and looking at the infrastructure. How do we uh, expand that, building those infrastructure in the broadband industry, which also relates to your data science and the internet. Um, what suggestion um, can you share in how we can develop a five-year plan. Well, uh, we're saying, I'm saying a five-year plan, but what I heard you say, the general, is 25-year plan. We That's need right. to really look at not five-year, but 25-year plan. Now think about where you'll be 25 years from now, right? So each, I know that uh, Congress has required each state to develop a broadband plan under the infrastructure bill that includes, uh, that increased greater diversity and inclusion, which also deals with uh, making sure that we have internet speed, because we've known from the climate, uh, you know, from COVID, some communities didn't even have internet. Or if you had internet or was provide, um, you know, uh, what do you call it, computers, that speed wasn't there. What suggestion can you share with us uh, in reference to working together as a partner to develop a 25-year plan in partnership with the DOD, um, the Federal uh, Communications Commission, our, our university partners, and which includes our HBCU partners, and of course, our leading entrepreneurs in data science. Well, I think it's uh, it's not a one-stop shop. I think that we need to like take a look as mentioned across the as far as the national level. But you know, like we just can't leave the. Um, it's just not a national whole impact. And so we definitely have to like include like the Department of Defense, um, and really um, that holds in, in uh, tie those missions and strategies together. You also need to take a look across the research whole industry. We, the research labs have done excellent in including like DARPA. There's an IDARPA out there now, intelligence community. Uh, 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 DARPA that does a, a lot and stuff, and they need to be included across the actual strategy and actually impact, and also educational institutions. The um, it, that that has to be included, and and um, across the uh, strategies. When I worked for NASA for a while, and so NASA would take their different uh, arenas and almost like pit them against each other to uh, solve complex problems. I think we need to take a look at that as far as energy is concerned. And if we come up with uh, what a, we call a complex problem and we let, let industry take a look at it, we let the Department of Defense uh, take a look at it and see what, uh, what, what they uh, recommend. And they, uh, but we can't forget about uh, cyber. Uh, cyber is a, a actually a bin that has to be in place and stuff, especially uh, as we've tried to uh, defend and support the nation. I have nothing to add to that. That was brilliant. You certainly was. I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> I, I, just a little bit to add on that, I would say is that I agree fully with the partnership. 
So within the installations, we actually have a legislative liaisons. We have a, a, a partnering shop because we have to make sure events like this, building relationships. But more importantly, uh, in states, we do the Association of Defense uh, Group. And like I said, we have to meet with these folks, whether it be at FAA, Department of Energy. We have to go across the agencies. This uh, work in energy and work in climate is actually a lot of direction comes from the White House. It's Executive Order 14057. We call it the Sustainability EO. But that's across all of us. And so as we go to implement those things and make them say, I'm going to be IT, broadband, energy, we gotta, what we got to do is build the research so it adds up. In other words, we can't have FA working on batteries and DOD working on batteries and DOE working on batteries. So we have to work together on pilots, share the information with academia, with civilians, and then try to figure out the best solutions. So I think the, the bigger thing we're trying to do, OSD does not have the dollar support. We do know that. So we're going to work on the partnerships and, and, and try to facilitate the demand signal so our industry partners will invest. And that's the game plan we're, we're going to go with. And once again, I will say, it's an open book. We'll see how this goes. We're, we're actually building the plane as we're flying. But we're, we, know, we know we're making the best decisions, and we're hoping more things like you can imagine. We need battery technology. The goals we have in 2040, we need the battery technology to work. We don't know how it's going to work yet, but someone's going to come up with it. We, what's going to be the next sustainable fuel? How's it going to happen? We don't know. But we hope someone can find it. And, 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 and like I said, even through things like I throw one out there, a thing called a blended wing body. And some of these type of technologies said, what's a blended wing body? That's essentially a plane that looks like a boomerang. It's a flying wing. Instead of the old tube technology, look it up online, open source. And so can you imagine a plane that looks like a boomerang flying around with 200 passengers versus the old tube technology? But it has better lift, it's shorter runways, and it's more energy efficient. So that's something hopefully prototypes and some folks are working on. And once again, we'll invest in those technologies to support our industry partners, the airlines, and really the carriers and see what they can come up with. But once again, relationships, building partnerships, and making sure we're putting all the pieces together and stacking them to get to a workable solution. Wow, this, is, this has been an amazing, uh, this has been an amazing partnership day. And I, I, I would like to uh, support you in your, your vision and your partnership with Legacy Bridges and Bayer and our panelists, as well as all of our, our academies that are here today because you are our next leaders. And when we talk about complex issues, we want to be able to partner with your, you know, with your academies and come up with, you know, maybe a challenge to you as cadets of how do we address this issue, which also includes broadband, internet, communication, cybersecurity, you know, the different inter uh, government agencies working together, the private public sector, and our entrepreneurs and our university partners. So we've learned a lot today, and I would like to uh, ask uh, if any of the cadets or anyone in our audience has any questions that they would like to ask in reference to your career goals, um, or maybe just want to stand up and say, you know, a thank you to our panelists, because when leaders take time out of their busy schedules to come before you to share what they're communicating is, we care. We're here to support you. We're here to support your vision and your growth. So is there any questions that you may have that you would like to ask the panelists? So I think that's my question. 
<laughs> uh, you don't want a Marine answering that one. Okay. I understood, I understood. Well, we're, in our community, uh, the installation doesn't drive the acquisition train, so our AQ community will work in that. And they, they're going to put some standards in place. They're going to create their own, quote unquote, part of the, I would call it the comic campaign plan, and figure out how they're going to build green aircraft. Uh, or better aircraft for our environment. And so that, but that's a long ride. But the main thing is right now is why they're focused, like I said, our focus is mission assurance. I wanna make sure, we wanna make sure we wanna reduce greenhouse gas emissions, but we gotta win. There's no alternative to that. So, but now we gotta figure out ways. And once again, we're gonna team up with the United Airlines, Express, whomever it is, as they're trying to reduce costs and coming up with ways, whether it be lighter aircraft, whether it be sustainable fuels, something very basic, changing the blades on the, the, on the aircraft by making them different coatings and making the air go over faster. Engine washes, instead of having to do engine washes two or three times, you do one and that makes the, it makes it better. In other words, we're gonna come up with every little thing. I'll give you a couple other examples. We're gonna have vertical windshield wipers, gonna save, just by changing the windshield wipers on aircraft, gonna save millions of gallons of fuel. And putting tips on aircraft, you've been on um, wing tips on a 737 for Southwest, you've probably seen the little curves on the end, right? Once again, that saves lots of fuel. Whatever the case may be, we're gonna chase it down. And I say, I call it death by a thousand cuts. So we're doing that now, and we're doing that on legacy aircraft, KC-135s, refueling aircraft, on fighters, et cetera. But now, in the acquisition phase, we're gonna need to build that up for the 46 that's coming out, the 35 that's coming out, and the future aircraft. And I also already mentioned the blended wing body, which potentially could be a significant savings 25 years from now. Wow. Thank you, sir. This is Good afternoon, gentlemen. My name is uh, Cadet Abby Harris. I'm a Crosstown fourth-year senior physics major at George Mason Crosstown with the University of Maryland. Uh, thank you all for coming out. Um, my question relates, I believe, Colonel, you brought it up. Nuclear power has become a questionable energy in comparison to renewables versus fossil fuels. And I want to know what you all's take on how the Air Force and all service branches are moving in that direction and how nuclear trends seem to be going up or down in the industry. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll jump on that grenade. Um. <laughs> So, you know, for the Marine Corps and for a lot of the services, we're actually looking at small nuclear reactors, right? Uh, and the, and, and they, they're called that just that, small nuclear reactors, because uh, when you talk about sustainable energy for a long time for some uh, distant operations, you'll need an energy source. And if you need a clean energy source that's not giving you a lot of signature uh, on places, Nuclear is an option, and you, you, you can't take that off the table until something goes you know, beyond that. Um, and now, you know, I, I think there have been new discoveries uh, with fusion as opposed to fission in nuclear reactors. And so that may offer an alternative uh, to some of the dangers that you've seen with fission uh, nuclear reactors. So. Yeah, I would like to echo that. So the Air Force is doing a pilot. Uh, we call it microreactor. Microreactor. Yeah. So it's, we're going to try to get it squared away. We're partnering up with the Department uh, of Energy, as well as stakeholders in the state of Alaska. So we're going to try to make that work. Uh, we're in the first year of a five-year process and try to get that to get that signed over in operation by fiscal year 28. Once that happens, like anything with a pilot, if that works, then we'll probably proliferate it to other installations. But once again, that this is a we're building as we go. So we're doing requests for proposals, getting information in, seeing who can work with us in the state of Alaska to make that happen. Thank you, gentlemen. Excellent. 
Wow, I must say, this has been a very exciting day. And we'd like to, you know, thank our panel at this time. Let's give them a round of applause. It's wonderful. So I just want to do a, a couple of housekeeping. Uh, we'd like for you to please remember to complete the seminar survey. That's very important. So it provides us with feedback. Uh, we also like to remind you that, um, you know, about the social media to stay in touch with Bea. Uh, we're going to also follow up, you uh, know, Legacy Bridges and the Bayer Partnership. We look forward to working with all of our panelists today um, to put together a 25-year plan, sir. I learned so much today. I cannot wait to share with the governor of Pennsylvania and Maryland that it's not a five-year plan we're talking about. It's a 25-year plan. Uh, diversity inclusion plan, which includes all of us and more women, woo -woo, just saying. And so, um, again, we want to thank you so much. Begin to think about what you've learned here, and I invite you to do, to do this. Think about your mission possible and what's possible for you. You've all learned new things today, new trends in the, indust in the industry. I'm so happy that you also shared your work with NASA. That is one of my big goals, uh, it's a trillion dollar industry and growing and uh, with all of us working together, I'm sure we can you know, increase diversity inclusion. I work with the astronauts and so we're all looking at how we all can work together. So again, think about before you leave here today, how can you apply what you have learned and write it down in your notebook so that when you begin to transfer that knowledge back into working with your, uh, you know, at the academy. It's not that I just went to Bayer and I learned something. Share what you learned. Do you agree to that? That's called service learning because when you share the knowledge, you empower others, including your commanding officers. So I want to thank you today for being here. It's always a pleasure. I've been working with Bayer since 2016 and I'll be here 25 years later, I, yep, I'll still be around. I'm a baby boomer, but I'm going to be here <laughs> because I know that we have great leaders in this room and we are looking forward to you helping us solve this complex in, you know, energy industry. So thank you so much for being with us today. You've been a fabulous audience and we're looking forward to you helping us solve the energy industry complex problems. Thank you and have a wonderful day.